yes, I am a tech geek. I have been a tech geek all of my life, but I know that it is a combination of digital and traditional tools is where you see the benefit. Like students, kids, no one should be on a device all day long. And no one at this day and age should just only be utilizing traditional tools like paper and pencil um, and books. Kids need real, real books, they need paper and pencil, but they also need those digital tools in order to better prepare them for the society. Welcome, everybody, back to another exciting episode of the Undisrupted Podcast. Uh, Adam, I was at a conference this week where uh, there was a school district in Arkansas that's actually doing this thing where they uh, allow the kids the choice as to whether they want to come to school in person, go to school virtually, or a combination of both. Like some days they could come in, come in person, some days they could go virtually. What are your thoughts about that idea? You mean to tell me adults are trying to give kids choice? What? What? Mind blown. I, I, I that that that's a new concept to me. Uh, but you know, I'm all for that. Uh, I've, I've been one of those people with this whole pandemic situation that that we have this post COVID, post pandemic world, uh, whatever you want to call it. It, it. We do need more choices. We do need more options because school can't look the way it's always looked. Um, it didn't work for a lot of students. It's the the virtual didn't work for all kids. What we're doing now is not working for all kids. So, you know, I'm all for something different, trying out different things and seeing what works. Uh, I'd be curious to see how you can have that type format where kids can kind of pick and choose. I don't know. we got to, you know, decide by the week, decide, you know, each day. I, I don't know what that looks like because I can only imagine the the teacher side, not knowing who's going to be in your room that day. Um, when, when the kids are coming in, I, I you know, I don't know. That just kind of scares me. Logistically, <laughs> logistically it could, I think there's a way to do it, but it would definitely take a lot of prep and like having basically two different spaces available, a virtual version of your room and the in-person version. I know that here in Austin, uh, we enrolled our kids in their virtual Academy for uh, one day. Uh, and then we pulled them and homeschooled them for the next three months. And I'm a big public school fan and I, they're back in school, but it was during COVID and we were, it was just, I, I had real hope. It was like, you're going to have these amazing virtual teachers. They're not teaching both like hybrid concurrent or whatever at the same time, like in-person and virtual at the same time, which was kind of a mess. And I was like, oh, this is going to be it. Um, which is also why I'm excited to invite our guest on today. So Carla Jefferson is the principal of a virtual academy at Darlington County School District in South Carolina. Uh, Carla, what are your thoughts on that idea of having virtual, non-virtual, mix, hybrid, choose your adventure every day? I, again, like Adam said, mind blown. I think the logistics of it initially terrify me, but I agree. Um, we There is no one mode of learning that works for everyone. And so I think it's important to, to provide homes and parents and children with choice. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to Google that when I get off to see exactly what that looks like for them um, and how that looks, you know, in, in the long run, too, as well. Um, obviously, I'm a fan of virtual learning, but I also know that it doesn't work for everyone. But we also know we have known for years that in-person learning doesn't work for everyone. And so how do we provide the, the correct mode of learning? Um, how do we tailor that to meet the, the the needs of the families in our communities? I think that's really important. 
And you, you said a very important piece right there, the, the families in our communities, because the families in your community uh, look different, um, have different needs than the families in my community, the family in Carl's community, all, all over. So that's one of those things that it's kind of to steal Burger King, uh, have it your way. It's literally going to have to look totally different because everybody's going to want it their way because uh, heck you have some schools in the midwest or whatever where they're farming places where you know the virtual learning may look different for them based on the the seasons um the crop rotations and all that kind of stuff i just don't know uh, how how this could lo- really look um, but you have to try something to see how it could look and i think that's where we kind of get stuck in education we don't like trying a lot of different things um uh, that's why everybody's been in such a rush to go back to the way things were before yeah but we all know the way things were were before didn't, didn't work i mean we so I don't I don't understand the need for us to run back to an archaic system that was failing um, our communities. But again, you know, there's comfort there's so in many what we know. Layers right? to all of it. Yeah, <laughs> right. We, we we get comfortable with what we know. So you have a. So I'm curious, like, how do you? I mean, first of all, this is one of those jobs that didn't exist probably ten years ago, even five years ago. I would say. What's your origin story? What led you to become a principal of a virtual academy? And then, like, what's your background? How did you get there? So it's it's really ironic um, because uh, although virtual learning is new in a lot of places, of course, it's not um, in others. Um, and I have found um, colleagues that have been doing this for a multiple of years, and it looks different every single place. It's really interesting. Um, so for me, um, I've been in education for um, 20, I think 25, this might be year 25 for me. Um, and I started as a classroom teacher, um, spent some time as um, a school level administrator for students with disabilities. Um, and then I've also spent time as an instructional technology coordinator for um, my school district. And so this, our program evolved. It was the brainchild of um, our superintendent, Dr. Tim Newman. As after we um, finished with that first like shutdown COVID piece, and we knew that um, in, in South Carolina, uh, we never closed, you know, uh, similar to probably other states. Um, we shut down the beauty salons and the nail salons, and but we kept the bars open. So that sounds like Texas. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we knew that we. We're, like there was no doubt that we would have to go back. You go back to some form of in-person learning, um, but our superintendent decided because he didn't want to lose our families um, who were afraid to return back to in-person learning because of the dangers of COVID. Um, we decided to create a virtual academy for our school district um, because, again, although new to us, not new to a lot of places, and what we know is that. Uh, parents these days have options. And so they could choose other virtual programs um, that are available um, or homeschool programs that are available. And so we wanted to provide something that was comparable uh, or in in our minds, a little bit better than that. Um, So initially we had the conversation about starting it and um, I had indicated some interest in wanting to, um, to maybe transition over into a principalship. Um, And so since my superintendent knew that, knew that I was principal certified, he asked me if I would lead the initiative. And, you know, we expected about 10% of our families kind of, you know, buying in. 
yeah, we ended up with 37%. Wow. (laughs) Wow. um, (laughs) uh, For the year of 2020-21, the Darlington County Virtual Academy was the largest school in our school district with 3,700 students. and so, do you have a do you have a mascot? I mean, wait, I mean, do you like how does that work as a school? It's like I imagine all these students, but I mean, all the counselors. You have all the other. I mean, I'm I'm really curious. Like, how does that all work with a person? Because you're a leader of an academy, but they're, they're in the schools. But do you have all the other things that schools get? Do you have a mascot? It's like it's a router. Like their uh, mascot is a, is a, a wireless router. <laughs> we I, we are actually kind of working towards getting like a a, a different. Type, but like lately, our logo has just been like an iPad or a MacBook. Like, just, uh, <laughs> but um, so it was very interesting because um, initially, when we thought it was going to be, you know, like maybe a thousand, eleven hundred kids, we had already in my role, we we worked with teachers all across our district. There are three of us. Uh, there were three of us in that role at the time, and so we started pulling teachers that we knew we had worked with through our annual technology conference through um, the professional development that we provided with a list of teachers that we thought would be a good fit. Um, And then the ante upped a lot. And so it got to the point where principals, they, we took, we look at, we looked at each percentage of the school. So if 45% of um, your student had signed on to be virtual Academy, then we would take a percentage of those teachers, but the principals got a chance to choose. So we had a wide range of ability, um, even in, you know, like we, so I have to say that we were in a very good place district-wide. We had been one-to-one for probably about um, three years, um, really five years, K-12, had done take-home model with high school for the entire time, had started the take-home model with 3-8. And so, and we had, again, done a lot of professional development, but still it wasn't perfect. And of course, we know that that building level leadership dictates the way it, it's going to go, you know, um, even with as much as support that is provided from district office. So there was a wide range there. And so we had of course, kids all over and it was, I want my child to be virtual. They're in virtual. Um, and, and so, and also we also managed larger class sizes because of the need to um, have social distancing and in-person. So my kindergarten teachers had 35 kindergartners in their classroom. Uh, and, and the same all the way up middle school got as large as 40, 45, 47, um, in some places. And so a lot of it was determining how do we like you can't teach 35 kindergartners at a time. Like there's just no no way. And so the benefit of that though, is that we really bought into the small group model and um, a flexible schedule for, for students um, within constraints, right? Because they needed in, they needed time with their teacher, you know, in these small groups and they did some large group things. But we also wanted to be consistent with the schedule for them because this was so new to them, having to log on and off or on screen and off screen time. And then also conversations about, so yes, I am a tech geek. I have been a tech geek all of my life, but I know that it is the combination of digital and traditional tools is where you see the benefit. Like student, kids, no one should be on a device all day long. And no one, 
at this day and age should just only be utilizing traditional tools like paper and pencil um, and books. Kids need real, real books, they need paper and pencil, but they also need those digital tools in order to better prepare them for the society. And so those were conversations that we had to have a lot. And also the fact that we were now teaching in homes, right? So I have been a, I was a middle school teacher for about 14 years. I can promise you some of the things that I said in my classroom when it was just me and my group of kids. <laughs> I can't say online. They're going to record you with their phone. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, they're right there, and they're on the phone calling me. Uh, you need to get online. This so-and-so teacher, I don't like the way she's talking to kids. And so it was just like, <clears throat> and it was so it was an ongoing conversation with everyone, with teachers about you all. You're like, although this is not optimal, you know, there are, we have to be careful about what we say online, but also having conversations with parents saying, you have to give teachers the ability to, to discipline and to, and to manage their classrooms. And so in some cases, you may not like that they're telling Johnny to get up out the bed and sit on a, sit at a kitchen table to do his work. But those are the expectations that we've set forth. And then going yeah, back put, put the rainbow high doll down, put down your He-Man toy, you know. It's, right. it's, put the dog <laughs> out. No, it's not her time to feed the baby. She's supposed to be in class, you know, those types of things. But um, it was definitely an opening experience. So I had, of course, my teachers had a larger course load. Uh, it was me. And then I was also provided three assistant principals um, to help support. Um and and that's about it so like uh we we kind of i had i did have a um i was given a guidance counselor um yeah and and that that was probably you know about it and so we worked um the three assistant principals and i and i was fortunate to have assistant principals who also had an understanding um of at least curriculum and instruction and teaching and learning and then we kind of worked together to build um, some of them were tech savvy. Some of them were okay with tech. Some of them, you know, so there was also a range there, but we worked together as a really phenomenal team to try to meet the needs. And then we had support staff that really tracked kids. With that, it seems as though that your district really put the emphasis on making it successful. Because what, what we've seen um, across the country is not everyone has really put their money where their mouth is it, where as it pertains to a virtual learning program. It was like, okay, we're going to do this because we have to, but we really don't want it to succeed. You know, it's almost like we're going to put up this little tent city for, for y'all to live in, and, and but we don't necessarily want y'all to live there forever. That was kind of like what virtual learning looked in some cases. And I, I think as a disservice to the kids in, in, in the long run, because ultimately what the virtual learning they had at the height of the pandemic should be the worst virtual learning they ever had because it should only get better. So with that being said, like what now, if you don't want to, if you don't want to share, I get it. But <laughs> what have you seen as far as like your student retention, like the, you know, kids being able to complete the program uh, coursework? Because I know for us, we struggle with some of the kids uh, completing some of their coursework and it was just like this mad dash toward the end of a quarter or some or a semester to get all their stuff done. So, you know, how did you see that or what were some ups and downs doing that uh, cycle that you can maybe share with our listeners? The, the first year is it, 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 undescribable because we just spent a lot of time tracking down students. 
um, who just, you know, I, I'm going to be perfectly honest, just did not have the necessary support in order to be successful. After that first year, my superintendent, our school board, they decided to, to move forward with the program. And that's where we really saw the shift because we turned it, we put it up under our Magnet Innovative Programs umbrella. We created an application. Um, we looked at grades, we looked at attendance, we looked at teacher recommendation. And so last year is what we call our like out of the flames Phoenix revamp year. And that has been extremely successful. We um, talked to parents, we did allow for parents, you know, some of them to appeal, um, you know, because based on the, the rubric system. And so we had a few, but we also consistently talked about parents about this being successful. Um, one of the things that we implemented that first um, first year and continued is we do parent-teacher conferences about every two to three weeks. Um, progress reports go home to parents every week. Um, it is so important. We make sure that every parent um, knows how to log into their um, their, our, their parent sis side of the sis. Uh, we make sure that they all know how to check email frequently. Whether and, and so in some cases that may be them just checking their students' email or their own personal email. Like we put a lot into work into providing advocacy for our parents and our families. And so for our younger students, uh, they have to have a designated learning coach that is there with them. In some cases, that's a parent. It could be an aunt. It could be a grandparent. It could be a cousin, like whoever that is there consistently to help um, troubleshoot and provide support. And so if students are having difficulty, you may hear a teacher ask, who's your learning coach for today? Because sometimes that shifts because parents had to go back to work, you know. So some days it may be grandmother, some may, it may be dad because dad is off and his schedule has shifted. And then for our older ones, we do require a learning coach, but they don't have to be there with them. But they're the person that's contacted if they're questions and concerns. We have had a very successful year this this year in virtual learning um, because we put down mandates and requirements. Um, if I look at the end of the school year, um, if we look at like student growth, we use um, math as a measure. Our students, like 84% of our students just just showed growth in math from the previous year, you know, to from the beginning of this year to even the end of, you know, just in this time frame. Um, our students, um, they are successful academically. So at the semester end, we do send students back who are unsuccessful. The first semester I may have sent. And, and so now we went again, we went from 3,700 to about 300. Um, we probably sent back about um, three to five percent of that population. Um, this year, we do give parents an option. They don't have to apply if they're already in virtual. They have to sign a commitment form. We have about 90% of our students that are back. Um, and out of, when I look at um, our middle school students for summer school, we only had two students that even um, were required to attend summer school just because of, you know, not being successful. Um, so, but again, that comes in a lot with the work, um, the support that we have, you know, um, so we are, so we, we're not, not necessarily per pupil funded, but um, because that takes away money from the homeschool that they may need right now, um, because they are the ones that are doing a lot of the work for the kids that were missing, right? The kids who didn't show up to class, they're not with us, they're back in their homeschool. But I can honestly say that anything that we've asked for, uh, in order to be able to support our students, we've gotten. 
And so even though we are a fully virtual program, we have what we call in-person learning days. Our students come in once a month for in-person hands-on activities that tie into the content. They come in for, um, for mandatory testing. Um, and then we also provide like what we want to create is like a, a, a public school, homeschool type equivalent. So we have social events. We have a spring fling. We did a fifth and eighth grade promotion ceremonies. We do trunk or treat. We do um, during Thanksgiving and the winter holidays. We do um, food drives to support um, our local community. Um, and so, you know, and, and so when I talk to other virtual programs that have been around for a while, some school some schools have their kids come in once a week. Um, right now with gas being uh, $4 a <laughs> gallon, yeah. I'm not going to ask any parent, you know, to that's just a lot to ask, um, knowing that in some, you know, for some, in some reasons, there are a lot of reasons why parents choose virtual. In some cases, it could have been health concerns. Some of it is they just don't fit in in that in-person, you know, learning. Um, but some of it is, you know, like just, I'm saving money, you know, by being home. But as a school district, we fund all of their needs that we're providing the devices and all those tools. And so, but we have found like those are things, even for parents who have decided that they want, they're sending their kids back to in-person. It's, you know, like we ask as they leave, like what are some, what are some ways that we can make it better? And they all say, just keep doing what you're doing. A lot of it was just the social interaction piece that they felt like their child was missing that we aren't able to provide, you know, as much on a daily basis, but that also gives us some ideas for next year um, to create like additional social events. So like our in-person days were academic, but moving on to field trip opportunities, pride night opportunities where the kids have dances, you know, things where the kids just have to, to come back because it took us a while. It took us probably until October, November to say, this is not the COVID school. This is a school for children <laughs> who thrive successful in a virtual environment. And making that shift, you know, was 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 probably one of the most difficult things that we are that we had to do and are kind of continuing to do to change that narrative. Yeah, that, that's always that weird thing, because I know for us here in my system, uh, we have uh, a program called Rise and it's our alternative school. And uh, we had to try to shake the alternative school label because yes, we it, it we do send kids that have uh, some discipline tribunal issues and they end up going to that program because they can't exist in their normal environment. But it's it's an alternative learning program, so we also just pre-pandemic for those students who, in some cases, some of our our, our seniors or juniors who may have um, become early parents. That program worked for them because a regular traditional school day, those hours just didn't work. We had some students that you kind of mentioned have uh, parents that they kind of are their primary uh, health care provider in, in home for them in some cases. And so that kind of that kind of environment worked for them or, or they just didn't like being in a regular school day. Uh, it just didn't, the confines of a of a seven to four, seven to three school just didn't work for them. So that that kind of program where they kind of could come in, do some stuff on uh, virtual uh, on the computer, get some one-on-one -on -one help with a teacher and go back home and complete the rest work for them. So, you know, I, I commend you on, on definitely that effort. I'm trying to change the label from it being the quote unquote COVID school uh, to a, a true uh, virtual learning program. Um, and I know you're going to really excel in that because you have a lot on your plate in addition to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause you're also, 
I'm excited. A, a about member this. of a national organization. Yeah, they, I I am now talking to two new ISTE board members. They've been on new new board members. I can still say that, right? You're still in year one, so technically correct. So I'm gonna yeah. ask I'm yeah. gonna ask both of you this question. I don't usually get this opportunity, so I'm gonna ask you both this. What's uh, and you don't have to spill all the dirt, although I do want to hear it, but not right now, um, because we are recording this, and I don't want you all to get in trouble for your volunteer job or get fired from it, because Adam knows what it's like to get fired from a volunteer job. Sorry. Oh, Hold too up. Soon. Hold up. with that being said, and for those of you at home, I'm holding up my <laughs> policy and governance for a board member uh, that, that they gave all of us to make sure that we read through. So um, as Carla's answering questions, I'll make sure she's not violating any of the ISTE board policies here. And that, that book is still wrapped in plastic, folks. Okay, so the question is, <laughs> <laughs> the question is, um, what... Yeah, what's just give it uh, just real quick because we're near the. I don't want to spend too much time on this because again, we want people to get excited about it too. What's something that you are surprised about? Both of you are surprised about about terms of how um, something like an ISTE board works because it's like it's pulling people from all over the the country, really. But there's an or- a central organization that's based out of, I guess, Oregon, and so and of course they run the conference, which is a big part of their their organization too. So, what was something you were like kind of surprised about when you became an ISTE board member? I wouldn't necessarily say surprise i think but what adam shared that carver uh governance policy that is really interesting because when you think about boards and the power of boards uh, and and how different that looks using that carver you know governance policy but i also think i i go back and i if we look at it it's a lot like the way school boards should act like they should like we ISTE hired Richard to be our CEO. We should trust him to make the best decisions for um, for ISTE. And he has done a phenomenal job with that. School boards hire a superintendent. They should, they should trust that superintendent that they hired to run that, that district. And I don't, and it sounds, I don't want to sound insensitive or anything and because I'm not necessarily talking about school board members in general. Some of this relates to legislature, but I have. And and definitely not talking about your current school system. We want to make sure all the listeners out there, not her new school district, not my school district. We're not talking about our current uh, employers who sign our paychecks. Uh, Disclaimer. I I am very blessed. And I will say this uh, that may not make it into the podcast. I have a phenomenal superintendent. And I, we also have a phenomenal school board that really wants to do what's best for children. And I and I know that that does not happen in a lot of places. And so a lot of times I look at the train wrecks that are now available on Facebook Live and YouTube yeah. of other school districts. Yes. You know, and I and I and I think, gosh, like, why do you hire? Why do you hire someone but you don't trust them to, to run? And so, you know, to run the district because they they have a proven record in most cases. You know, my superintendent is he knows what he's doing. He has a vision. And I'm lucky enough to have a school board that trusts him in that vision. But it's also we know it's a balance between the 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 the, the overall community too, right? You know, um and and it's it's that political game that they have to play. And so I think that what you know, not a surprise because I've I've read about Carver and understood it, but you know, it's, it's really like, you know, we really have no power. Like, I I, I can promise you, we can't get you free tickets in any issue. Oh, any come on. Event, you know? I want to be a <laughs> keynote speaker. Not I want to be the keynote speaker. Come on. <laughs> we, we're not, exactly. We're not throwing out free keynotes, and you know, to everybody. 
But it's the opportunity that we have as ICTI board members to talk about our passion for the organization um, and to be key ambassadors for the organization. And I think that's the part that I love the most. Like those of us who are on the board have a a fairly longstanding relationship with ISTE, have always believed in the work that ISTE does and being on the board just kind of, you know, puts you on, on another level to be able to advocate for the work that they do and to spread that knowledge a little further. I definitely appreciate the, the the fact that you guys are volunteering your time for this because you are a conduit into school districts. You're basically the lens of which ISTE needs to be seen because you, you both have boots on the ground in two different spaces. Adam, I'm going to ask you the same question and then I'll have you wrap us up. But any surprises for you? Because I haven't, I, I haven't really got to ask you much. You've sent me some texts and I've seen some pictures when you guys were touring something in D.C. at some point or something or other. But I haven't like what's a surprise for you as an ISTE board member? Anything surprising? Well, you know, it's just the 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 size of the organization. I mean, is is this a whole? As Carla mentioned, it's more than just the conference. I mean, there's so many uh, branches of ISTE, and it does so much work on so many different levels that you kind of, if from someone who, if you familiar with ISTE standards and the conference, that's a s- small piece of everything that ISTE's involved in, and and that it does. So that was was one of those things as becoming a board member, kind of seeing behind the curtain a little bit more. It's kind of like, oh wow. Yeah, as he does that too. Okay, cool. Um, and then also getting a chance to work with some of the awesome people on the board and and, and growing my skill set as well. That's just one of those things that's kind of like, oh, okay. You know, um, there's some really, really awesome people know a really a uh, whole lot of stuff, and I get to learn from them as well and and grow my knowledge base. You know, I get to work with with Carla um, on on projects and stuff. So you know, really happy uh, to do that stuff as well. So um, you know, got a pretty pretty good board president and all that stuff. Uh, so yeah. Good, good deal. So, Carla, last thing we're going to do before we get off of here, I want to ask you something that we ask all of our guests as they come onto our podcast. With all the, and this is the hardest question, actually. This is the one that some people just say, don't air my, my episode because I can't answer this question. So, get ready for it. Uh, <laughs> with everything that we've had going on in the world and with this new position, making this transition, what do you do to keep yourself undisrupted? To be perfectly honest, the fact um, that I have my family, uh, my husband is so supportive um, of the work that I do. Um, My daughter, who is actually a student in my program. So that's very interesting because when I go in to observe, she'll uh, she'll send me a message. Hello, Mrs. Jefferson, you know. uh, but also, um, my my mother is actually the learning coach for my daughter because my husband and I both work. Um, so, like they they along with like other friends and family are definitely a staple. Um, but also the fact that um, my superintendent and my board are so supportive of the work that that we've done and and and, and have allowed me to to pretty much push my vision on this entire program without a lot of curbing or changing. I appreciate that. Um, I have phenomenal principal colleagues that I work with that that have my back that I can call and ask any question. Um, And then it's just also like just being able to be myself, um, no matter where I am. I work with the most phenomenal teachers on this planet. They are rock stars. 
um, because they they put their all into this work every single day. And so, like, I, I love being, like, being able to develop this program. I love that kids come in because their faces make my, like, kids make everything better. So seeing them when they come in once a month um, or sometimes more frequently, being able to see them and talk to them, um, that definitely makes, just it just makes it all worthwhile. It's not easy. This is hard, hard work. Anybody that's in education knows. But, I mean, like, I... I got a chance to handpick my, my teachers, my faculty. I got a chance to handpick my students, you know, for the most part, as we look at, you know, because of that. But just everybody allowing me to be myself um, and just providing support whenever needed. It's just been this. It's made it a phenomenal experience. Now, that first year, my assistant principals and I laughed. Like, the fact that we didn't stroke out is like <laughs> a testament to itself. Like, how many times did we just want to be like, I'm out? I'm out. (laughs) Everybody came back the next day and the next and the next. So it's, it's been a, it's been a phenomenal journey. I can absolutely say that. Well, uh, the students there in your school district are definitely uh, a benefit of that journey of you and your team. And I want to thank you for joining the show. She's Carla Jefferson, everybody. You can follow her on Twitter. I didn't say this at the beginning, but you're Mrs. Jeff to you. Is that correct? Your Twitter? Yes. That's That's, uh, MRS. J-E-F-F, the number two, and you on Twitter. So check her out on Twitter. Follow her and all the amazing work that she's doing there. And want to thank all of you for joining us and listeners out there. Be sure to subscribe. Give us a review. We'd appreciate it. We might even give you a shout out on a future show. This has been the Undisrupted Podcast brought to you by Future Ready Schools. He's Adam, and you can follow his OnlyFans account at Adam's Knuckles because I almost forgot it Mm -hmm. in this episode. Yes, yes, yes. You got to see the knuckles. There we go. Or on Twitter at AskAdam3. People are actually going to start looking for that for real. Uh, and he's Carl, <laughs> my number one supporter of my OnlyFans. And you can follow him at Mr. Hooker. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are better together. And we are better. Undisrupted. Undisrupted.